Give the Lord one more good hand today. He is worthy. And how about giving the preacher an air hug? Good to see you today. Glad you're here. And tell your neighbor, you're looking pretty good behind that mask, I think. Hey, great to have you. It was 244 years ago. It was July 4th. We celebrated yesterday, 1776. And a group of men, certainly a bit fearful and intimidated, because when they signed their name on that piece of paper, they became wanted men. They were wanted because they were rebelling against Great Britain. They were, uh, uh, they were considered criminals. They would be hunted down. They had the potential to lose their livelihoods, their families, their lives, their children could be taken away from them. Yet they took the risk Because freedom is worth it, and the freedom that they gave us, you and I today, as American people that we enjoy because of them. Uh, We celebrate our Independence Day, uh, our national birth certificate, our Constitution. We are the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world. A constitutional republic, a republic means a representative form of government. We have 50 states. It's not just the big state that makes a difference. It's not just California and Texas, but Rhode Island has a voice and New Hampshire has a voice. We all have voices. And uh, this is a great gift. America is criticized a lot. You don't have to look far. You don't have to Google many terms to find out what's wrong with us. But yet at the same time, America as a nation has provided more freedom more individual freedom, more national freedom, more religious freedom uh, than any nation in the history of the world. Uh, Our economic engine is the envy of the world. More people want to come here than anywhere else. Um, We have done more to help the people in the world. If there's an earthquake, if there's a crisis, if there's a medical crisis, America is there to help. We are Americans today and we celebrate our, our nation's history These blessings we could recount on and on, but they are not accidental. They're not by chance. I suggest to you in the strongest terms, they are the blessings of the Lord. Let me read Psalm 33, verse 12. The psalmist said, blessed is the nation. Say it with me. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The nation whose God is the Lord. Arguably today, uh, many Americans would say, He is not my God. He may be yours, but not mine. But there was a day in America's past when clearly those that shaped this nation were dedicated Christians who believe in the Bible. And that's a statement today that's challenged by many, but I want to give you a history lesson today about the influence of Christianity in America. I'll be referencing lots of source documents. If you've been been educated in America in the last 30, 40 years, What I'll say to you may be new to you, but I encourage you, if there's questions, go back and look. All my notes are well referenced with the bibliography. Uh, I want to take a picture, if you think this is in question. Uh, The rotunda in our Congress, the halls of our Congress, if you go into their foyer, as it were, you'll see four, I think it's six pictures there, it could be seven, but I think four of the pictures have religious connotation. This first one, it's the baptism of Pocahontas. She was the first convert to Christianity in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, We also have the pilgrims when they left Holland. They had the Geneva Bible. They prayed as they left searching for the new world of religious freedom. De Soto, Hernando De Soto, as he uh, uh, went into the Mississippi River, he planted a cross in the ground dedicating the land to God. Columbus, when he was off the Florida coast, he too dedicated the land to God. These are not just uh, things that we say in church. These are pictures in the halls of our Congress. So my question is, how did they get there 
if America were not a religious people, and specifically a Christian people. Now, I'm going to give you a history lesson uh, to explain that to you, but I want to digress just a little bit and talk about uh, the conflict we're having in America, because there's a movement today to discredit our founding fathers, um, basically to replace the Constitution, and the reason that's given is because of the practice of slavery in early America. Um, what I want to do is I want to offer you a different view of history. I want to offer you some original documents. I'm going to be referencing, if you've ever heard of a David Barton, the group is called Wall Builders. David's one of the uh, uh, strongest Christian historians in America. He has a personal library, and their ministry library is filled with founding documents. For example, today I'll read a letter that I believe is in his, in his possession from the sixth president of the United States. Much of history, so what I'll tell you today is not what I googled and took the first four or five things that came up about a question. I mean, no, somebody writes an algorithm to bring those things to you. And the truth may not be in the first four or five. That's what somebody wants you to see. Uh, but uh, I'm going to look at a lot of source documents. And uh, I, I just want to encourage you just to, to listen. And see if perhaps there's a different perspective that should shape our thinking about this horrible institution of slavery that was a part of our past. Uh, he writes about our founding fathers in slavery and says that slavery was not introduced by the founding fathers, but slavery in America began 200 years before uh, they were uh, leaders in America. And here's the key point, that the Revolutionary War was the turning point to get rid of slavery. There's a narrative that suggests that these greedy white men came here because they just wanted to pillage the land and take everything for themselves, but there's a different story. The Revolutionary War was the turning point to get rid of slavery. Actually, many of the founders would complain because Great Britain had forcefully imposed the colonies this evil of slavery. You say, well, I've never heard that before. Uh, I hadn't either until I read the words of Thomas Jefferson. Listen to what Thomas Jefferson said. Jefferson said, King George III has waged cruel war against human nature himself. Now, a lot of these quotes that I'll read you today are, are with what we would call King James English, archaic English, and it's a little flowery and wordy, but I think you can get it. Uh, this cruel war against human nature, he's talking about slavery, violated the most sacred rights of life and liberty. See, this was our Declaration of Independence. In persons of distant lands, carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere. So King George, the king of England, was behind this. Benjamin Franklin wrote in a letter in uh, 1773 that said, whenever Americans attempted to end slavery, the British government thwarted those attempts. So it was not just the evil people that were building their, their, their um, uh, you know, resource base here in America, but Britain had something to do with it. That was part of the reason for the declaration. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, said the inconsistency of slavery with the principles of the Declaration of Independence. In other words, slavery and in its practice was diametrically opposed to our founding document. He said it was lamented by all the southern patriots of the revolution. Now listen to what he said. The man's either telling the truth in this letter that he wrote, or he's lying. He said, never from their lips was heard one syllable of an attempt to justify the institution of slavery. So of these founding fathers that signed the, found, uh, signed the Declaration of Independence, our sixth president said not one of these men was in favor of slavery. Uh, he even went on to say they saw that before the principles of the Declaration of Independence, 
Slavery was destined sooner or later to be banished from the earth. And uh, how many can say that is a good thing? In case you want more of a, a modern uh, view of it, if you've ever heard of a, uh, uh, an economist, his name is Thomas uh, Sowell. Uh, he's a bump in a 90. He was a Stanford economist, a brilliant man. He used to be, write editorials in our own newspaper. Listen to what he said. He said, while slavery was common to all civilizations, only one civilization developed a moral revulsion against it. He's talking about Western civilization, specifically America. He said, moreover, within Western civilization, the principal impetus for the abolition of slavery came first from conservative religious activists, people who today would be called the religious right. What does that mean? People who believe the Bible were against slavery and had it abolished in this great land. Can we give the Lord a good hand for that? And then he went on to say, this story is not politically correct in today's terms, hence it's ignored as if it never happened. Many of the founders never owned slaves. Our second president, John Adams, he said this, my opinion against slavery has always been, never in my life did I own a slave. It's almost like all of our founders are lumped together, like if you're playing Monopoly or some kind of board game, and it's like every founder's on that game, and when it's time to put all the scrabble up, you don't just pick them up and put certain ones in, you just dump the whole thing in. Not all our founders owned slaves, but some did. One in, uh, but notice, even those that did released the slaves when America separated from Great Britain. One in particular, George Washington, the first president of the United States, George Washington, even for the time he owned the slave, was wrong. But now here's the question. This is, the, I guess, the most important question I want to ask you in the course of this message. Does a wrong in a person's life negate the good that they do? In the eyes of God, when a man like King David had an adulterous affair and then murdered, his wife, murdered her husband... Did God throw him away after he'd forgiven him? No, he didn't. When the Apostle Paul, once he was known Saul, Saul at one time would kill Christians. Saul at one time would make his way and find great glory in the fact that he had destroyed a Christian family. Saul came to Jesus Christ, he became Paul, and God forgave him, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Even a modern leader today that we've not cast away. Martin Luther King has done more to bring civil rights and equality to America than any person certainly in our, in the last century, yet evidence abounds that he was an adulterer. We don't throw people away because of the sins in our lives, but we take the good things that they do. Our founders were not perfect, yet God used them to create the greatest bastion of freedom in the history of the world. And freedom is something we take for granted. Freedom gives us choices like, do I go to church or do I not go to church? Do I read my Bible? Do I not read my Bible? What restaurant do I go to? What job do I want to have? What career do I want to pursue? What state do I want to live in? And I don't have to show my papers as I grow across the state line. You see, freedom gives us the choice to marry or to not marry. Freedom gives us the choice to go to a nightclub or not go to a nightclub. Freedom gives us the choice to go to Albertsons or to go to Super One. We, we are used to these things, but there are forces in America that want this different. And what they want to do is they want to throw away our founders. And I suggest to you it's a huge mistake to throw away the good that a person does, even though they've done something wrong. You know what the greatest song in the history of the Christian faith is? It's Amazing Grace. 
Every Christian knows it. Virtually every funeral I go to, it's sung. It's known in bar rooms. Come on. It's no, if, you, if they ask to sing it at a basketball game, people will know Amazing Grace. But did you know the author, uh, John Newton, was a former slave trader? He was a captain on a ship that carried slaves. And one day he came to himself. He had an encounter with God. He asked God to forgive him, and he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. Now let me state unequivocally that the slavery of our past and our present is wrong and inexcusable. I say slavery of our present. The State Department came out with a report last year, 20, I think it was 2019, couldn't have been 2018. The State Department said there are 25 million people in slavery in the world today. 25 million people, most of them entrapped in sex slavery. And much of that, a huge proportion of that, is in America. The rest of outside sex slavery is people that are in forced labor. It's happening today and it is wrong. But just because these things of our past happen, and it does not mean that we should cast aside freedom and we should cast aside our Constitution and replace it with socialism or communism. It would be a mistake to throw away freedom that we have. We want to keep fixing America as we go. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let's talk about America's Christian heritage, and I want to talk about our founders first, their view of the Bible in Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of President Andrew Jackson. Anyone, anyone know what president he was? Oh, I'm, I'm impressed. I had to look it up today. Number seven president. Here's what he said. He said, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. The Bible. Uh, John Quincy Adams, number six president. He said, no book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated on as the Bible. Could that be one reason that the Bible is still the most, uh, uh, the, the number one seller, electronic and paper, still every year it goes on and on and on, billions and billions of copies of the Bible. Listen to what John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court said. He said, the Bible is the best of all books. It is the Word of God. And teaches us how to be happy in this world and the next, the Supreme Court. There was a man, his name was Robert Aitken. He was the official printer of the Continental Congress. And he asked Congress if he could print Bibles for schools. Now, what do you think Congress said? No, separation of church and state. You know, that's another lie that is, that is propagated on us as the American people. The phrase separation of church and state is not in our Constitution. It's not in our founding documents. That phrase was written by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association. And what was happening is in England, of course, when they fled England, there was a state church, just like England still has a state church. And uh, England had a state church, and these Danbury Baptists were afraid that they would have a state church in, in, I believe it was Virginia, that they would have a state church in Virginia. And Thomas Jefferson wrote back and said, no way. There's a wall of separation between the state and the church. And his intent was basically what he was saying is the state is supposed to be a part of the church and help the church. The state's not supposed to control the church because there's a wall that won't let you. You see, he didn't say get the church out of the state. He said keep the state out of the church. Well, that's where that phrase came from. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so here's what Congress said, uh, said to them. Congress said, resolve that the United States in Congress recommends this Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. Not just to the school children, but to everybody in America. 
Now, listen, Newsweek said this, 1982, that's only about 40 years ago, it was a reputable news publication, Newsweek said historians are discovering that the Bible, perhaps even more than the Constitution, is our founding document. Did you hear what I just said? Newsweek said the Bible is more of a founding document for America than the Constitution. Now, can I ask you, what's happened in the last 40 years? Did history change? No, history hasn't changed. It's the people that want to revise history and throw away history that's changed. Um, how about what, what do they think about Jesus? You know, we're told that the founders could have been religious people, but that didn't mean they were Christians. Well, listen to what Samuel Adams, a signer of the Declaration, said. Samuel said, I rely on the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon of all my sins. John Witherspoon said something similar. He signed the declaration. He said, Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners. If you're not reconciled to God through Jesus, you must forever perish. Come on, can we give the Lord a good hand for that? It is without question about the Christian heritage of America. If you don't believe me, look at what, just Google uh, statues and monuments, Christian statues and monuments in Washington, D.C., and you will find literally hundreds of inscriptions, of statues, of buildings that bear this mark of Christianity. Now let's talk about the, the American, uh, God and the American Revolution, this war for American independence. Now what gave the impetus for this, of course, the Declaration of Independence when they formed their own nation. Uh, let me remind you of the preamble to it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that is, everyone should see this, that all men are created equal. We'll come back to that. They're endowed by their creator. This is God. God the creator. Not, not the evolutionary uh, creation of man. But our creator gave us unalienable rights. And the rights God gave us are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. An unalienable right is a right that cannot be taken away. The rights to freedom that we enjoy come from God not government. And did you know there's a move afoot now to rewrite the Constitution? Uh, a, a number of states that are, have already signed on and approved to have a constitutional convention where they want to rewrite the Constitution. Sure, it's afoot in America today, and I don't think that would be in a good place. But God is the giver of our rights, and government's role is to protect our rights. But let me tell you what is happening in the world today. There is a push towards an ultimate form of government that is called the Antichrist and a one-world government. Even now, the head of the UN is calling a virtually every day, it seems like, that there is more one-world government to solve the problems of the world. Well, guess where this heads? If you look at freedom and what we have as a constitutional republic, we're over here. And here's the Antichrist and, and, and the dictatorship of the world. Well, guess what you find here? You find socialism. And guess what you find here? You find communism. But it's a push in our America away from freedom and liberty towards this one world government. Uh, these rights that were given us, all men are created equal. You say, well, pastor, slaves were not created equal. They are now. God created them that way. The people of America didn't recognize it, recognize it, but because of the Constitution and the ability that it gave to correct past wrongs, there's no, there's no slavery in America like we used to have. Can we say that's a good thing? You say, well, pastor, women didn't have the right to vote. I say, they do now 
because a wrong was recognized and a wrong was righted. Again, we were not a perfect people, nor we are a perfect people now. Hopefully we're in an evolution towards righteousness, but we are a, the only person that doesn't have these rights in America today is a baby in the womb. We cannot even as a nation recognize that it's a human being in the womb of a mother because if we recognize that right, then that child would have the same protections as any other and then abortion would go out the window. Um, the Christian, let me, you'll find this a little funny. During the revolution, a British governor wrote back home uh, to, and he complained. He said, if you ask an American who's his master, he'll tell you he has none and he has no governor, but say it with me, Jesus Christ. So this is what this guy wrote home, said, uh, these are followers. Uh, Now, this one is profound. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, he said, the highest glory of of the American Revolution. Now, those are fancy words to say the most important thing that came out of the Revolution. You'll never guess what it was. Here's what he said. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Think about that. We're told today that the government's over here and they do everything they want to. In church, you stay in your little building. That's not the country that was given us. We're going to have a little fun with the next one. I'm afraid if I shared this next one with, with a, a, a secular soul or someone on you know, one of the big broadcast stations, they might have a heart attack in front of me. But I'm going to go ahead and share it with you because you'll rejoice at it. Uh, imagine it's 1776 uh, and there's an oath of office that's in the state constitution, look it up, of Delaware. Any office that you want to be in, if you want to be in Congress, if you want to be the governor, if you want to serve as the mayor, if you're on the city council, you had to raise your right hand and say these words. So I'm going to ask you to do this with me right now. Come on, play with with me now. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, John Miller. You didn't say John Miller. It's okay. Say your name. I, John Miller. Do profess faith in God the Father. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son. And the Holy Ghost, one God, blessed forevermore, and I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures and the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Wow. 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 Today, we don't, rarely do, well, some courts don't even use the Bible anymore. But that was, that was early America. Let's talk about Christian and, uh, Christianity and early education. It's a, it's a book. It's called The New England Primer. It taught children how to read from the colonial days all the way up until the 1950s. It was involved in teaching kids how to read. Look at the first A. A, in Adam's fall, we all sinned. The letter B, heaven defined the... Bible in mind. The letter C, Christ crucified. So they learned their Bibles in this New England primer. Well, we became smart. When they knew their ABCs, they knew Bible stories. They knew concepts of right and wrong. That's why when we talk about there, is a, there was, a, was a Christian culture in America, there was kind of a biblical worldview of America. Well, this is where it came from, taught at an early age. Uh, but uh, by the middle of the 20th century, 1950s, we switched readers Because secular people complained, and they complained loud enough that we got rid of. We're smart now. We're progressive. We're educated. We're modern. And we used a reader called Dick and Jane. 
Anyone old enough to wear, uh, remember Dick and Jane readers? Yeah, that's how we learned to read. But yet in Dick and Jane, we didn't find this immorality. We didn't find the standard themes that run through modern day television. We were still in the culture and character of that biblical era up to date. And it was a good moral little book and they learned how to read, but they didn't learn about God or the Bible. And then not many years ago, we introduced the book to children. Heather has two mommies and it's in the curriculum. Now look what's happened since we made this major change. Test scores began to drop. And you would think if someone really cared about kids, they would say, well, let's go back and do it the way we used to. But they didn't. It's not because they don't care about kids. It is because of an agenda is more important than what's happening. The morality among children. Who would have thought? In the, I was raised in the America. I was born in 1957. Beyond your wildest imagination. No one would ever thought that a child could go to class, a sex education class, and they would practice putting banana, uh, condoms on bananas. No one would have ever thought that. But yet in today's world, we're radically different. I don't know that we're better, but we're different. Our morality's gone down. Crime has gone up. And rather than asking the question, why is there crime? Was there a day in America's history... What was different when I went to school and I could drive up in my pickup truck to, to, to school with my gun rack in my little Mississippi truck with the shotgun hanging up in it and there was no problems? What was the difference between that day and today? We have scoured. The Bible has been removed. It's like a dirty dish that has stuff on it. You scrape it all out and you wipe it and you put it. That's what they're trying to do to our culture and replace Christianity with what we have today. This is what's happening. Uh, universities, and let me, by the way, it is the, all that matters is this godless, secular society. Because that's going to be the rule of the Antichrist. There's no room for a sovereign, free America in the, in the rule of the Antichrist. There'll be no Bibles easily displayed. There'll be no churches being able to worship like we worship now under the rule of the Antichrist because he wants to be God. That's where we're heading, and that's where people are, are, are like pawns pushing us in that direction. Let's talk about ancient colleges. The first 108 colleges, 106, were founded by Christians, built on Christian principles. You don't believe me? Harvard. Go back and research it. Harvard had their rules of order. It was called their rules and precepts. The second rule of Harvard was this. Let every student be plainly instructed that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Then he called it, that's the only foundation of solid knowledge and learning. A professor, Harvard, you had to go in and you, with, that, with that assumption. In 2016, the Washington Times had a report from a Harvard law professor and he called for liberals to begin treating like Nazis those who subscribe to Christian or conservative beliefs. That's where we've come from. This is the nation that was given to us and how it was given. And this is what's happened to it. Dr. Benjamin Rush, he gave great advice. This man signed the Declaration of Independence and he founded public schools. Don't you think somebody that founded public schools ought to know what they were talking about? Listen to what he said. He said, the Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books. 
Before you do history lesson, read your Bible. Before you do English, read your Bible. Before you do algebra, read your Bible. That's what he said. It contains the greatest portion of that kind of knowledge which is calculated to produce private and public happiness. I'm preaching better than you're amening. All right, let's talk about a minute about our national motto, In God We Trust. Uh, you know, it's on your money. In God We Trust is on your money, and under God is in the Pledge of Allegiance. But did you know how they got there? Let me give you a little more history. Our, our national motto, In God We Trust, uh, comes from our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. The Star-Spangled Banner, of course, is, is, is what we play before sporting events, before we play before a baseball game or whatever the case, you know, we all stand. Well, now there's, there's not just standing, now there's kneeling. And let me say why I personally believe it's wrong to kneel at the playing of our national anthem. And I'll tell you why. There are 1.5 million graves of soldiers that have died all over the world for freedom. There are over 3 million people that have been wounded for freedom in America's wars. And this flag represented their pursuit of freedom. This flag, if they were on a Navy vessel, would be flying on the front of that vessel. This flag, if they were an Army platoon and they were marching in the early days, they would carry it high. If they were in a platoon of soldiers in Vietnam, they would have it. And if you're a modern-day soldier today, it's probably a patch on your uniform if you, if, you, if you fly. There's something about the flag that represents the nation. A national anthem, a national song. I, could pers I, I personally cannot bow to it. I'll personally stand and put my hand over my chest and say thank God for the United States of America. One nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Um, but this national uh, anthem was written by Francis Scott Key, 1814. Remember this big war, 1812. Uh, they're watching this battle. This, the British are, are bombing Fort McHenry. This American flag is still flying the Star-Spangled Banner. Here's the fourth, fourth verse of the song. Praise the power that made and preserved us as a nation. Who do you think that power is? It's the Lord God Almighty. Praise God, then conquer we must when our cause it is just. This is our motto, say it with me, in God is our trust. That, that's where the national motto came from. But it didn't appear on our coins till 1864. And you know when it got on paper currency? 1957, the year I was born. Two, yeah, two years earlier than that, the Pledge of Allegiance, remember, I Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. Do you know that was added in 1955? You remember several years ago, Pepsi uh, 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 put the Pledge of Allegiance on, on cans, Pepsi cans, but they eliminated under God. You remember the big you know, hoopla that came up over that? Uh, well, well, let me tell you why they put it on in the mid-50s. In the mid-50s, what was happening is the emergence of the Soviet Empire. The Soviet Empire, the, the, this, this conglomeration of this Russian state, that epitomized communism and subjected people to rule. You see, when America has fought wars, when we went and, and, and fought war and defeated a nation, guess what? We didn't take the nation. We didn't make it like the British Empire did. We left our dead there. That's what we left there. Uh, but anyway, in, in the mid-50s, communism was rising around the world. And what communism was, it's like this big monster that just wants to eat one more nation. Uh, I'm in America today because of communism. My grandparents in, the, in uh, Latvia in the World War II, the communists came into their nation. They were a free nation, and they came in. The first thing they did, the communists took their guns. 
That's why I believe in the Second Amendment and the right to self-defense. The communists took their guns. The second thing that they did in the middle of the night, they came in and they arrested every citizen that was a leader in the community. My grandfather was the postmaster. True story. They rounded up all the leaders in his town, chained them with barbed wire, put them on a boxcar for Siberia. This is what the communists do. The Wall Street Journal wrote an article about communism and it said 100, 100 years and 100 million deaths at the hand of the communist. Because if you don't get rid of the communist, friend, they'll kill you. And right now in America, what the communist does is they delete you from Facebook. Come on, they delete you from Instagram. They don't let you post on Twitter. You go to Twitter jail. But it's a force and a control of free speech is what it is. But it's the same thing. My grandfather is headed off to Siberia in the middle of the night. He was a Lutheran. In the middle of the night, he said he had a vision. Jesus appeared unto him and said, fear not. We recorded his story. It shocked me. I couldn't believe it. He said, fear not. The next day they get out of this boxcar. They take their wire off and they give them shovels to dig their graves. But at that moment in time, the shift, the Russian and German front shifted. And the soldiers left them. The Russian soldiers left them. And uh, they go back and he gets his family. And he gets uh, his horse and his wagon, loads up his family, whatever they can take. And they head off across Europe to try to find freedom. And this is what communism does, and this is why it's so dangerous. But yet it's being espoused by so many in America as an alternative form of government. Not a better form of government, but an alternative form of government. Anyway, uh, that's why we put uh, under God in the pledge, because we wanted to distinguish America. Now let me wrap up with a spiritual application. America has changed, and we need a spiritual awakening. I'm not so stupid to believe that the America we live in today is the America we used to live in. When I was in the first grade in a little high school, in, or high school, first grade in, in uh, Hernando, Mississippi, Theron Long would come over the microphone in the morning. He was our principal. He's gone to be with the Lord. But every day he'd read the Bible and he'd pray for us as students. When John F. Kennedy was, was assassinated, we, uh, we prayed. We got on our knees in that little first grade. I'll never forget that. But this is not the same America today. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I will suggest to you three biblical characters that can inspire us how to live in these days. One of two things will happen. We either, in my opinion, we're either going to make a, a quick, dramatic step towards the loss of freedom in this, ele this upcoming election that will step us closer to the loss of religious freedom, the loss of individual and personal freedom, the rise of socialism, and a step towards the Antichrist. Sooner or later, we're going to end up with the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. It could happen, it could happen in this November election that that's accelerated. Or God could say, I'm going to put that off a little while. I'm going to kick that down the road. It's going to happen one day, but I'm going to put the Antichrist a while because there's millions of people that need to become believers around the world. There's tens of millions of people. There's hundreds of millions of people. There's several billion people that hear the gospel that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and I need to protect nations and missionaries to still let it happen. Now, for that to happen, three people need to stand up. Paul, Paul needs to stand up. Uh, Daniel needs to stand up, and Jonah needs to stand up. Why do I say Paul? Paul is arrested for preaching the gospel by the Jews. And Paul is, you know, he's arrested. And they're about to flog him. And all of a sudden he says, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who's not been condemned properly in a Roman court? 
And, they, and all of a sudden, they untie him and they said, we're real sorry that we violated your rights as a Roman citizen. What's the application? We need to stand up for our rights as a Christian before we lose them. The Constitution, after the Constitution, the Bill of Rights was given to us. And in the Bill of Rights was basically a catch-all of things that they didn't mention before and they want to, they want, or things they want to reiterate. Or it could be that uh, they wanted to make a way so this Constitution could grow by the voice of the people over time if it needed to make some, some proper changes. But here's what the Bill of Rights guarantees us. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's all we hear. It's church and state, no establishment of religion. But you know what they ignore? The second half says Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Which simply means not only just... See, if we rewrite the Constitution, one suggestion is, is we give people the right to worship. Worship means what we do in church. The freedom of our religion is what we do outside the walls of the church. And that's what they don't like. They don't want a doctor or a nurse who's in a hospital performing abortions to be commanded or demanded to perform the abortion. They should be able to opt out because of their freedom of religion. We've got to stand for it. There was a, a cake baker that stood, and he's been in, in the courts ever since. His name was Jake Phillips, mastership, uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. To uh, gay individuals, he said, I'm happy to make you cupcakes or anything else. He's baked for them before. But he says, it's against my r religious principles to bake you a cake celebrating a same-sex marriage. Well, obviously, you know, he went to court, he went to sue. The Supreme Court, biggest religious liberty case in that year, Supreme Court came back and they said he has the right to do that. But guess what happened the very next, uh, I don't know how long ago after that, shortly after that, someone asked him to make a gender transition cake and he refused to do that, so he's being sued again. This is how America fights. Who is this little one man? This little one man is nothing, but there's forces in America that want to shut down your right, come on now, to practice your religion, your right to free speech, your right to have an opinion. We need to, be, we need to have the courage of Paul. We need to be like Daniel, number two. We need to be like Daniel and do uh, what God says even if it's unpopular. Now, remember, Daniel's a slave in a pagan land. Uh, they're trying to get rid of him, so somebody's made a law that uh, uh, if you pray to another god other than, uh, other than you know, the, the, the king, the dictator, you'll be uh, thrown in the lion's den. And that was the law. Daniel 6, verse 10, if you pray to anyone except to this king, you'll be thrown in the lion's den. Well, Daniel learned the law had been signed. You know what he did? He went home and he prayed three times anyway, just as was, he had always done. Daniel basically had to say this. For me, to, am I going to obey God or am I going to obey man? Now, here's where you have to separate your preferences and your opinions to really convictions. And when it was a conviction, he was willing to die for it. Well, you know what happened? He, he went down in that line, uh, lion's den, and those lions all had tummy aches. And they were eating Pepto-Bismol all night long, and they couldn't eat, uh, couldn't eat Daniel. And the next day, they fish him out, and guess what happens? He's promoted, and the guys that tried to get him are thrown in there, and the lion's tummies are okay, and they're gone. In other words, his stand for righteousness gave God an opportunity to do something big in the nation. Do what's right even when it's costly. And the last one, and I'll close with this, is to be like Jonah. 
speak the truth in love in hopes of a spiritual awakening. Friends, it's not the facts. What I've read you, and I've read from a number of different sources. David Barton just has to be, happens to be the most uh, prolific. Uh, he's appeared before Congress. He, he, his videos are everywhere. I mean, it's not like people don't know, but it's like people don't care. It's not the facts that matter. What we need is God to do something. Here's what Jonah did. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. And all he said was eight words. And he didn't even want to do it. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He didn't rationalize with them about the Jewish religion. He didn't talk to them about morality. He didn't have uh, debates and discussions. He just simply said, in 40 days, God's going to wipe you out. And you know what happened? 200,000 people repented from their sins. Those simple words were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And a nation turned back around. That's my hope as I close this today. That when you and I speak the truth in love, whether it's to one person, a hundred, a thousand, a million, ten million, or a hundred million, hearts will turn to Christ that loves them and gave his life for them. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. It's worthy of praise. Unless there's any doubt in your mind that America's heritage is in, uh, undeniably Christian, listen to, and I'll close with this, the Supreme Court Justice, his name was Brewer, in the late 1800s, listen to what he said. He said, America is of all the nations of the world most justly called a... A little later on, 1931, the Supreme Court said, we are a Christian people, according to one another, the equal right of religious freedom and acknowledging with reverence the duty of obedience to the will of God. Now, our Christian heritage is undeniable. If you still have any questions, please just look at my notes and go to the bibliography and go to the source documents. It is undeniable. Our future, though, is uncertain. It depends if you and I will be like Paul and Daniel and Jonah. May we stand and pray today and ask God to have mercy on us all. Just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Would you just take what we've heard today and amplify it in our hearing? And let us be doers of the words and not hearers only. May we, Lord, have the courage to be like Paul and stand up for our rights given to us in the Bill of Rights of Religious Liberty. May we be like Daniel and do what's right, even if it's not popular. May we have the wisdom to separate our own opinion and preferences from true convictions. And Lord, may we be like Jonah. Take the simple word of the gospel. Jesus loves you. He has a better way to live. Turn away from your life of sin and follow him. And may those simple good news words ignite a spiritual revival in this great land. Lord, we want to specifically ask you to give us, Lord, another opportunity. I want to ask you to extend the timeline. Extend the horizon. Let this nation, let us, have an opportunity to freely proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. God, help our nation. Our nation is in trouble. 
I pray right now, Lord, for those that are causing such hostility and strife, whether it's on the streets of our cities or whether it's in the halls of our Congress. I want to humbly ask you, Lord, to touch and save every one of those people. I want to pray today for every unjust judge. I pray that you take sleep from their eyes until they realize, Lord, the difference between right and wrong and the wrong that they've done. God, I want to pray that you would send confusion into the camp and the life of everyone that's trying to destroy this nation. And I pray that somehow the light of the glory of God would shine afresh upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close today. We're going to sing God Bless America and then dismiss. When you go, we have four exits, two in the front, two in the back. Please social distance as you go. If you have a, a visitor's card or if you have your tithe or offering, you can drop it there. But uh, I want our prayer team to come to the front now if you're here. If uh, uh, any of our prayer team members come to the front. And if you're here and you say, Pastor, I've, I want somebody to pray for me before I go. I, I need to talk a little bit to somebody. They'll be here. What I'm going to ask you to do is people are leaving. You just be seated in your chair. If you want to, you could come a little closer to the front and be seated. But let one of these men and women know that you're here. And uh, we'll pray for you. But let me ask you this. It, it's, a, it's probably the most important prayer that a person would pray. But it's the prayer to become a Christian. You see, you're not born a Christian just because mom was or just because you were dedicated as a baby. You're born again as a Christian. There's a spiritual rebirth that happens. It can happen today, July 5th. 2020, if you're willing to look at your past life and say, I'm tired of it, and turn to the Christ of the cross and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I want you to give me a brand new life. If you feel like you've got a God-shaped hole in your heart and you need God in your life, let us pray for you. This is the way to do it. I'm going to ask if you're wanting to make this commitment to Christ during this last song. Pastor Mike's over here. He's a pastor raising his hand to my left. Just slip out of your chair and come over and talk to him. If you've gotten away from God and want to come back to God, let, it, let him pray for you today. Amen. I love you and I'm so glad you came. Let's sing God Bless America and dismiss. God bless America. like we normally do and uh, we'll worship with you as long as you'd like to hang out with us if you need prayer let us know and uh, you can be dismissed at any time we just pray that you'd have a blessed day today